0: Take your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 7. Get back into the Gospel of John. You're gonna be in verses 37 through 39 this morning, just three verses. But you guys know that it has no bearing on how long the message will be. <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Pastor, he 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 has that motor, right? He he preaches for about an hour. He can he can do it. And and um, you know, I'm more of a 30, 40 minute type guy, but um, you know, sometimes God blows in on that thing, and and um, <laughs> we just park at places where we we never expect. And um, I had a lady come to me after service last week, and she is re- referencing to uh, service I think the week after Christmas, and she said, "You said things that to my son who has been away from the Lord, and he was in the audience that that only God would know that he needed to hear." And I just say, "Oh, that ain't me," you know, that "ain't me." I'm a foolish one. God calls the simple things. I'm the most simple-minded person you're probably going to meet, guys. I'm going gonna, gonna to admit it. I'm so uh, dependent upon God, um, every single thing that I do in my life, but uh, this is the most, um, preaching the word is the most, uh, how can I say it? It's the blessing of my life because it's God's gifting, but it's, it's the largest burden that I bear um, because I would much rather be up there in the corner in the back. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Like, I'm just gonna keep it real. I'd much rather not be up here. But when God calls you, you you, you go, you know, and, and, and then He makes it. And then when He meets me here, you know, it, it, it just, there's no, there's no thrill like it, you know, just to be honest with you. So I, I wouldn't step down from what I'm doing today to be the president. And, um, but yeah, just wanna share that with you guys. But John chapter 7. Verses 37 through 39. If you're there in your Bible this morning, say amen. On the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We pick it up and we are on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. We know Jesus made his way to the feast a few days after it began, and at first he was undercover, but then he revealed himself in a very public and profound manner when he went to the temple and began to preach. And those who saw and heard him were astonished by his boldness because they knew that there was a hit out for his life by the leaders of, of the Jews, the Pharisees. And those who heard his words also were, uh, moved back by, of course, the, the authority by which he spoke and the, the uh, the, uh, the claim that he made to be from heaven, to be the son of God, to be the long awaited Messiah. And of course this feast was centered around and most in that day believed that the Messiah would in fact return during the feast, as the people were just coming out of the season of of sacrificing the the for the nation's sins, and, and they were at this point uh in the Pharisees' eyes the, the most close to God. The cleanliness uh spiritually was at a different level because they were observing, of course, these rituals and, and um so they thought that of course that one day the Messiah would come and we've heard the debates in chapter seven. They had wrong information. They believed that Jesus, uh, could, they couldn't know where the Messiah came from. They, they, they didn't understand how, how can you claim to be Messiah, but we know where you're from and we, we know your family and, and you know, all the different debates and voices that were taking place. But now we come to the end of the feast and similar to other things in that culture, there's much symbolism found here. The last day of the feast is when they would they would go with the priests and they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would take a golden picture and they would fill it with water at the pool and then they would return and they would walk around the temple seven times and then they'd also go into the altar area, the high priest leading the way and they would. Uh, Do these ceremonial uh, uh, walks around the altar, and then ultimately they would blow the shofar, and they would sing praise and give thanksgiving. They quote scripture, and they pour out the water. Now, this ceremony uh, was, in fact, uh, was something that was developed by the Pharisees. You see, they were primarily uh, urban dwellers. the, The Pharisees and the religious leaders lived in the city of Jerusalem. And there was an emphasis at this time of the year. You see, the summer had passed, they're now in fall. And the emphasis was placed at this point of the year on praying and seeking God for water, for, for rainfall. Because at this time, the cisterns, the, the, the water containers would have been at their lowest point. And so on the seventh day, this very special day of the feast, they would, uh, they would observe this ceremony. You know, the, the Jewish culture... They often had uh, ceremonies and feasts, and the whole purpose of it was to remind them of something that God had done in the past. It was always uh, filled with symbolism and representatives of what God had done. And so this was no different. We know that the, the Feast of the Tabernacles rem- reminded them of when they lived in the wilderness and they lived in tents, and even God dwelt in the temporary tabernacle. And, and uh, so this was no different. The The ritual that was taking place was to point them to God. But I want you to understand something this morning. Though they went through great lengths to observe the feast, most would have traveled in from far. Though they would have taken much expense to, to stay there in Jerusalem, to offer sacrifice, to observe, of course, these other rituals, I'm telling you, these people are not much different from the church today. They were not there primarily to seek God. They were there to seek his blessing. They were there, and their main focus was not to draw near to God, to to get uh, a closer relationship with God. They were seeking prosperity, blessing, and, of course, a a good harvest the next year. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like a lot that goes on in Christendom in America? Very few are seeking God for him and him alone. Very few could sing the song that we sung earlier honestly and say, everything else can wait. I've come to seek your face. And I think if we're all honest, we've been guilty of this in seasons of our walk with the Lord. Where our prayer lists are dominated by requests that upon receiving, we want to consume. We want a better career. We want a better marriage or whatever. Nothing's wrong with those things. Don't get me wrong, but where's our focus? And this was the case in Jesus's day. Now, the irony of this all is that these people who were going through all these ceremonial things uh, that pictured God and his moving with among the people, they, had, they were oblivious or willfully oblivious to the fact that God was right there among them that God was standing in the midst of them. I was thinking about it as we worship this morning, how in Revelation it talks about the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, how God stand, He said, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with or I will have a meal. I will fellowship with you. And I'm telling you, that could be said of the Church of America, we're lukewarm, we seek the blessings of God more than, than the person of God. We are distracted. Other things have greater pulls on our, our hearts. We uh, don't prioritize God. Oh, I'll make it to church when it's convenient, or, or, but if overtime is available, I'm going to go get that. Oh, I'll make it to Bible study if you know, if I, if it's convenient, but if the, the boys have uh, soccer practice, oh, so I'm going to have to miss it for this whole season. And I don't mean to be convicting this morning. I don't mean to step on any toes, but actually a little bit I do. Because I'm not preaching to, well, there's those who are tuning, tuning in from outside, but I'm primarily preaching to the people within these walls. And I'm telling you, too many of us have Allow things to distract us from seeking God. And we will not find him if we don't seek him with all of our hearts. You won't experience what Jesus is going to talk about in just a moment without a singletary focus of seeking him. These people, they were like us. They wanted, they wanted political revolution. They, the ones who were in power, they did not deserve to be in power. The Romans, they didn't want that. <laughs> they, they were seeking, uh, financial blessing and they were looking, uh, they were experiencing taxation, undue taxation. They were experiencing, uh, uh, you know, all this type of persecution and, and it affected their, their, their resources too. And, um, so they were seeking God that he would take the Romans out the way, that they would give them a harvest and, and that they would once again be, uh, the, the envy of the world, but they weren't really seeking God. They were content to not have a move of God in their generation, just as long as they were comfortable. <laughs> Are we content to not see a move of God in our generation just as long as we stay comfortable, just as long as we can still vacation every year? I don't know about you, but my heart breaks of what. You know, we talked about last week, the abortion industry. My heart breaks to see America and the school system in America now. My heart breaks to see young teenage girls right now. uh, Suicide within teenage girls is skyrocketing. Right now, alcohol addiction, STDs skyrocketing, skyrocketing. Xanax, you name it. Um, (laughs) It's on the uptick. There was a group that met here from the community yesterday. And um we had some, some high-powered people on this stage yesterday. We had the sheriff of of the entire sheriff's department, Villanueva. We had Catherine Barger, uh the city, I believe she's a supervisor. Um then we had uh the Senator Mike Garcia and um and others, another senator I believe, in. and uh <laughs> it was, it was a powerful uh, group up here, right? And of course, the, the purpose of the meeting was because of what is going on in Leona Valley. Now, a lot of our church, we, we import, we're imports. We come here from out of Leona Valley, right? Most of us, right? <laughs> and sometimes to the disdain of those who moved away from the crowds, <laughs> to be honest. But um, a lot of people in our church do live in this, this uh, community, and, um, They've noticed, and others in the community have noticed, the the cartels and the the drug uh, enterprises that have been buying properties here locally and starting illegal grows. Um, The number is staggering. I I heard at some point there was 30 30 of these operations here in Leone Valley. And, um, (laughs) yeah, and these, of course, people come and they, they threaten Leona Valley residents to, to keep quiet, and they bring this illegal activity, and it's not pretty. And so we were here, and, and these leaders were talking about how they have been uh, uh, fighting this, that they're aware of what's going on, that they're aware of the need for inhi- or heightened uh, police presence and, and, and fighting this. That, you know, there's a gentleman from the FBI here. This is going up to the federal level. And so because it's deep, it's a whole enterprise They're crooked real estate agents who are selling these properties with falsified documents. I mean, I can continue on and tell you this whole enterprise because billions of dollars are being generated. Anyhow, so as they stood up here and they talked about all the efforts that they're putting forth to combat this, to to, uh, seek for there to be peace in this area, I just was thinking in my heart that, man, if we as the church would see the need of the world around us, and seek God, because he is the answer, isn't he? And seek him and, and put our resources and our time and our, and our effort, our talents into seeking him so that he could turn this nation around. Oh, what could we see? We could see it. And I'm telling you, God, God doesn't need a majority. He doesn't need a, the overwhelming crowds that the world thinks that's necessary to change uh, any type of situation. He only needs a few of us who will truly seek him, who will truly not just go through the emotions but have a heart for him. And This is what I believe God wants to do in this church, and I think as we we continue to press into him, you know, these things that we're doing in the heavens and these prayer meetings and all these other things, the whole purpose is to seek God. That's it. We're trying to, we are sacrificing time, talent, effort, blood, sweat, and tears to get us as a church to seek God because he's our only hope. And I want you to understand something. I can't want it more than you want it for you. And God has just been putting that on my heart. So we see all the symbolism of this time. We see the ceremony, all of the uh, the. the effort put into observing this feast, but the heart behind it isn't right. And of course, we're going to see Jesus is going to step into this, and he's going to cry out. He's going to uh, shed light on what's going on. Now, of course, the whole ceremony with the water, it was to picture when the children of Israel was in the wilderness with Moses, and when they were Without water, and you remember they begin to cry, they begin to complain. And then Moses, of course, heard from God, and God said, to Go to this rock, and from that rock, I want you to talk to the rock, and I'm gonna bring water forth from the rock. And of course, the, that rock was a picture of Christ in the wilderness, that he could bring streams in the desert. The rock of salvation, he was going to save his people, because water, of course, is a precious substance. Even more so in those days, because they weren't like you and I. They didn't have running water, and they didn't have. If you didn't have a water source, you didn't have life for your family, for your livestock, etc. And so we know Moses got frustrated with the people, and he smote the rock. He hit it, and uh, because of that sin against the Lord, he was not allowed to enter into the Promised Land. And as we sung just a moment ago, the holiness of God. I think it's it's always fitting to remind us of the holiness of God. We can't seek a holy God with our hands covered in sin. You can't draw near to God and and have a heart to seek him. You won't have an appetite to seek God if if your life isn't set apart, if you aren't uh, setting your life in such a way and putting sin aside to seek him with all your heart. And I'm telling you, that's what's missing today in the church. There was a time when holiness rang often and hot from the pulpits of America, but today most preachers are at the bar. Most preachers are pride filled, no different from a CEO of a Fortune 500 or any other type of company, and, and we uh, we lived in comfort and ease, and and we uh, <laughs> we don't have that burning fire. God just convicted me of that again, just. We were having a staff meeting here on Friday, and and, and uh, Chrissy sang a song. We had some worship, and and I just couldn't help but start to weep when the song was saying, I want to be holy, set apart for you, God. Can, and it's not just for preachers, y'all, I want y'all to understand. It's for mommies. I want to be holy, set apart for you. It's for daddies. It's for, it's for children, teens. I mean, it's for all of us who call the name of Christ to be holy. And I just feel like that's what God is saying to us. If my people which are called after my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways. It's wicked when you seek anything before God. It's wicked when we live these covetous lifestyles. It's wicked when we absorb hours and hours and hours of wicked content on media all week, and it's wicked when we spend more time on Instagram than in our word. It is wicked, guys, I don't want to uh, sugarcoat it any way. God sees that. And he looks at that, and I know it disgusts his heart. It's wicked. We're all guilty. so we go through the motions like these people are, and God looks at them, and he's not moved. So we see a lot of symbolism. We see the ceremony. But we're going to see Jesus step up in the middle of this, and his timing is always impeccable. <laughs> he's going to preach a message. You know, sometimes the greatest messages are the short ones. I was telling the earlier service how the first time I preached in a church was out in the country of Taft, California, about two and a half hours from here. And uh, six or seven people, their average age was about 75 in the church. <laughs> but God bless them. They, they just wanted someone to come and preach to them. They didn't have a pastor. and So I went and I preached my heart out and it was ten minutes. <laughs> and uh, Some of you are like, okay, pastor, bring that one out next week. (laughs) Not a chance. (laughs) Anyways, Jesus steps up, and he's the greatest preacher of all time. And he sees the illustration of what's going on. He knows that it's symbolizing him. And he says this, I want you to see Jesus stood and cried out. And once again, I I don't want to rush through this. He stood up and he cried out. The word there in the Greek, it, 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 it meant to, to lift your voice and solemn announcement. He, he, he was not bashful when he got up and he spoke this. He, he cried it out and he wanted everyone to hear it. He wanted no one to be confused what he was about to tell them, what he was about to say. And he, he cries out, the Bible says, he stood up and this was not normal. A rabbi of that day would have been too dignified to stand up and stop the pomp and circumstance of the ceremony going on and and, and draw attention to himself in that way. Uh, But Jesus knew. That he was the answer. Jesus knew that what they were seeking for was, was not going to be fulfilled by another good harvest, by another uh, political uproar. It was not going to happen apart from him showing up. And he was there. Oh, can you imagine the irony? They're seeking God, but he's right there. And I'm telling you, that's where some of you are right now. You're seeking God somewhat. You're seeking the blessings, and, and God is right there before you. He's saying, come to me. This is what he says. He says, come to me. If anyone thirsts, he says, let him come to me and drink. Oh, this is a significant invitation. I want you to understand a few things about this invitation. Jesus said, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone I love when I see anyone and whosoever in the Bible, words of that nature, because they are all inclusive. That means anybody, anywhere, you've not gone too far from Jesus to come to him this morning. You've not stooped too low to come to Jesus this morning, I'm telling you, and he was there in the crowd and there would have been prostitutes there. There would have been repub, I mean, pup- Not excuse me, <laughs> that's a slip. Republicans, sinners. There would have been all kind of people in that crowd. Yes, some Republicans were there, I'm sure. (laughs) But he made this invitation, and he made it loud and clear. Oh, what a Savior. As I was thinking about it this morning, he is so much, but the the sweetest thing to me is that he's my savior. He saved me. I was on my my way to a Christless hell. He sent two teenagers and that's why I love love teens because God uses teenagers. And they knocked on our door and they invited us to a Christian camp and my mom just felt led to let us go and it was at that camp And I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, when he saved me that day, he was saving me from my past sin, but he was also saving me from my future sin. You know, I hadn't done too too much. I was a sinner, don't get me wrong. I I share with my kids, I'm very open with my kids about my sin. I remember just getting caught one day shoplifting in the store and running from the the security and, uh, you know, getting caught. And and just, I I tell my kids these things because I hope that they won't, re uh, go down those roads they don't do the same things and um i was a sinner at 9 i was had my my issues and god saved me then he saved me from my future sin he saved me from the fornication that I would later get involved. He saved me with the alcoholism that I did for a short stint. He saved me from all the other worldly pursuits that I went on after in my teens when I turned away from him. And and, you know, we preach very uh, transparently here because I'm hoping that some teenager will hear me and not have to go through that pain and suffering and and have the scars and the shame that comes with walking away from God, but that they would seek him with all their heart all the days your life, oh, you'll never regret that. But if you do, he's still your Savior. <laughs> Come on. I can get excited about that. Where sin doth abound, grace much more abounds. Thankful. And so he's my Savior, and he's putting this out to all those there. He says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. Thirst. You see, these people are like you and I and the world around us. They were seeking to fulfill themselves in other pursuits. They were seeking to find fulfillment in prosperity, maybe in relationships. I don't know, maybe in pleasure, whatever it might be. They they were seeking to to feel a thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. I'm telling you what we see around us. We were made to worship humans. We were made to worship something. We have a a God-shaped void within every one of our hearts that only he can fill, And that's why the world is going around getting high, getting low, getting drunk, going from bed to bed, uh, going, seeking more and more and more. And it's never enough because I'm telling you, you'll never have your thirst fulfilled away from the one who made you, Jesus. Jesus you'll never I was reading uh, or I was watching the video and the world the world often tells on themselves it was a Floyd Mayweather and you know he's often seen with the elites and you know with the money you know millions of dollars cars and private jets and uh, supposedly living the life right and someone was interviewing him, and they, they asked him you know, what it feels like to get a $100 million check. I, I mean, I'm interested to in see what that feels like. But <laughs> <I died. laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's my sense of humor. But anyhow, <laughs> this person asked him that question, and he said, Well, to be honest with you, it doesn't really feel like much. He's like, honestly, the the check that I got when I was just coming up, the first big check that I got that was $100,000, that one felt far greater than I got my first $100 million payout. You see, because he spent his life in pursuit of money, and he thought that it would fulfill so when he, initially he had the, the endorphins when he got that check, you know, but soon it waned. Oh, how many of you have been there? You, you wanted to get that, that muscle car or that, that bigger house or, or that raise at work or you're you, you single and you wanted to get married and soon after you got married and Maddie, don't, don't, don't be upset. <laughs> you realize you married another sinner and it's the honeymoon's over real quick. Or you got that check and you realize, hey, man, more money, more problems. I'm just going to be honest with you. What what did Solomon say at the end of his life? Everything under the sun is vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, I got everything. I, I pursued, I uncovered every rock. I got wisdom. I got wealth. I had women. And all it did for me was made me even more depressed. We've bought the lie, too. We've bought the American dream, the 40 acres and a mule. I've watched people leave California in an exodus to, to go to Idaho or Texas or you name it. They get there, they find out the grass isn't any greener over there. The, the new bigger house has problems, too. The job... That gave me an extra ten thousand a, a year. I, I deal with a lot more stress for that extra money. I'm telling you guys only Jesus can satisfy. We, we were wired to find pleasure, to seek pleasure. We were. But ultimate pre- pleasure is found in the person of Jesus Christ. When you are, listen to me, some of you, you you don't have money. Money has you. You're a slave to that. Whatever you serve will be your master. And money is a terrible master. And your spouse is a terrible master. And your kids are a terrible master. But Jesus, he's perfection. Oh, he might ask you to do something, but he'll give you the grace to do it. He'll give you the strength to do it. He'll walk you through it. He'll see it through. Oh, my friends, I want to tell somebody today, oh, you can forsake this world because this world, the whole system, it is not of God. If you love the world, you're at enmity with God. But I'm telling you, if you give your heart to Jesus, a lock, a stock and barrel, I'm telling you, you will never regret that a a minute and a moment in your life. I promise you. I'm sorry. If you're not a Christian this morning and you're thirsting and you've tried all the others, religion doesn't even fulfill. I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And this invitation is for you. He wants you to come to, you, to Him, He'll provide salvation and satisfaction, both. He will save you. He will give you a new name, a new new purpose. Uh, He'll give you fulfillment beyond what you can comprehend. So Jesus says, anyone who thirsts, anybody, come to me. Let him come to me and drink. He says, you can come, anybody, and you'll see you you have to receive it like you would receive a, a drink. You have to and you have to receive him fully. It's not uh not religion where it says you have to work and do certain things to have that relationship. No, it's by faith. We're gonna see. Look what he says in verse thirty eight. He says, "He who believes in me." That word believe is an action. It is a it is faith. And the Bible says, "For by grace are you saved through." faith. It's its a decision, but I believe uh, it's a miracle when a person uh, comes to Jesus and they believe on him, that he is who he says he is, that he is the Savior, that he will give you forgiveness, that he will give you a home in heaven. Oh, it is a miraculous thing, and there's nothing more uh, more beautiful for us to witness than people coming to Christ. and And this is what he is saying, come, believe in me. And I want you to understand the scandal of what he's saying in front of these people. Here they are going through the motions, having their rituals, and the high priest and all the other people who are supposed to have it together, they they don't. And so Jesus is saying, come to me, y'all. Put this aside. I am it. Come to me. Come to me. He says, he who believes in me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus makes a promise here, a declaration too. He says, those who believe in me, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, of course, the heart isn't speaking of the organ in our chest that pumps the blood. It's speaking of our seat of emotion, the innermost part of you. Where you you are uh, at your bare minimum, you who you truly are is is what the Bible's t- your your consciousness, your 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 intellect. Your, I mean, so the heart means this; it means just your being. He says, "Out of that will flow live, rivers of living water." He makes that promise. I had to look at that this week several times, and I had to admit that many, many seasons in my Christian life were not defined like that. Where out of my inner man flowed the Holy Spirit, is what he's speaking about. The, the, the fulfillment, the, the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And remember what John said earlier in, in this book, that he baptized with water, but there would come one after him who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. You ever been around an on-fire Christian who's filled with the Spirit? I have. And often they put us to shame. <laughs> you know, I remember my mom was this way growing up. and She wasn't perfect, but I just remember how she sought God every single day of her life. And, um, you know, we'd go to church and I'd be in the back as a team, you know. I did not want to be there. She would drag me to church. She'd make me go. We were so poor; we didn't have a car, so we'd ride this, this hot, stinky bus with a whole bunch of other families. And here I am. I'm a, playing varsity basketball, you know. I'm I'm popular at school. I, th- I thought I was it, you know what I mean? And on Sundays, you'd find me on that bus. <laughs> oh, so humbling. <laughs> When I turned 18, she couldn't make me do it anymore, and that's when I began to stray. That's when it went downhill even more. I didn't know that God was even in that. No, I I did know because I'd be in the back, and the preacher would be preaching, and something he'd say, a scripture he'd read, would just hit me, and I had to look up at him like, You've been talking to my mom? (laughs) Seriously, that's what the Word of God is. It's quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharpening any church, so it gets to the heart of things. And I don't care how hard the heart is. It's like a hammer; <laughs> it will break it. It's like a fire. And so I'm sitting there. And anyways, we, <clears throat> we go to this church, and, and I would try to have the facade on, and I can't remember where I was going with this, but it'll come back. <laughs> anyways, I'm gonna retract. He who believes on me, as the scriptures say. You guys try to do this, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, Yes out of his heart out of his heart with flow livers so i you know I was sharing with you guys how many seasons of my Christian life was not defined like this, and uh but my mother's she she was constantly having that 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 joy she would you know we'd be in church, she's singing her heart out and and just worshiping god and and just you know at times it it got on my nerves because I was on the opposite end of that. I was cold, I was calloused, I was listening to the wrong stuff, I was hanging with the wrong people and not seeking God. And oftentimes, you know, we get a bad rep here, you know, because you know, we're viewed as radical, you know, 6 a.m. prayer meetings, you you know, we're viewed as radical worship for 30, 40 minutes and, you know, you're brainwashing people you know, I would say, yeah, we are brainwashing people. We want to want them to love Jesus because he's worthy. And uh, but I was just sharing that with you guys because the truth is a lot of what we deal with in counseling, a lot of what we deal with, you know, in teens struggling with things that they struggle with, yeah, that's normal in a lot of sense, but a lot of it is traced back to this. We aren't seeking God like we should. So for a believer, that is the most miserable place to be. You know, my friends who did not know Christ, they had a blast partying. M- me, I'd be in the club, and some God would send somebody in the club and say, you're not supposed to be here. And instantly, there goes my buzz because I'm convicted. My, I, I knew my mom was at home praying for me. I'm just being real with y'all. Raw and uncut, but... <laughs> it wouldn't be described as... My life wouldn't be described as the Holy Spirit overflowing in me. You guys know the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, gentleness. Oh, I mean... I, can we put our name next to those things? The sad thing is we can't many, many days. But Jesus promised that those who believe in him. That word believe is a tricky word because it's an action word. It's not a noun. It's not a one time thing. You do it. And then sorry, from loud. It's it's a life. It's I believe that you are who you say you are today, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put you first today. It's a constant thing. It's a continual. It's in the perfect... Uh, it, it means continue to seek, continue to believe, continue. Sometimes we as Christians, we've got to just go back to that first love. Go Look back, look at it. And I've been in a lot of uh, retrospective you know looking into my life in just the last you know few few weeks honestly and God reminded me you know of all that he did in my life you know and and looking back it's always 2020 right you see how he kept you how he sustained you how he showed grace and and it's just his grace amazes me and Jesus promised those in the crowd there and I believe us today that out of our our, our bellies or our hearts when would flow rivers of living water if we seek him, if we come to him, if we have that thirst for him. Oh, where are the Christians today who could echo what the psalmist said in Psalm 42? As the deer pants for the water books, so... Pants my soul for you, oh God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, and we in our culture today, we are so wrapped up in this world. We aren't in a rush to get to heaven. We are in a rush to live in the presence of God. We are, we are all rooted and grounded here. But I don't know about you, but I feel like a pilgrim here. This world is not my home. This wicked, vile world is not my home. Oh, I'm, I'm preparing my, uh, my, my, I'm being prepared for a greater country uh, that, that Abraham was willing to go to the grave not yet seeing. I'm telling you that Moses was willing to leave a Pharaoh's court to follow that living God. I'm telling you, where are the Christians today like that? Hunger and thirst after God. Jesus said it in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Do you have a Hunger for God, a thirst, a desire for God. Oftentimes, we as pastors, we see people so close, but they just won't take the next step in pursuit of God. I remember a few years back, we were in L.A. and and we were less spiritual then, so we still took the kids uh, trick or treating, right? <laughs> Don't write me a letter <laughs> or an email. We're not doing that anymore, but <laughs> so we were out, and um, we have um, a group with us. We, we actually drove to Burbank with a pastor friend of mine and his family, similar ages of their children, and so we, we went in his neighborhood because we lived in the hood, and it's not really safe. <laughs> And so, and, and and where we were at. So, we got there and we, we went out, and uh, we're out. We're in a group, and there's so many kids. It's kind of like um, you start to lose track of you know so many kids. I have a lot of kids, and, and so we're trick or treating, and we're we're going. We're having a blast. I'm talking to the, my friend, and my wife stops. She says, "Babe, I can't find Junior." <laughs> I say, "What? Junior's gone." She's screaming at this point. She's crying. She drops all that she's doing and she's looking everywhere. We can't find him for a good, it was about 10 minutes. Let me tell you, that was one of the scariest experiences of our lives. And we're seeking him. Like, we've never sought anything. And we find him. He had messed with another group of people. And uh, he, he was so busy eating his candy. He hadn't looked up. He was just walking and, And we saw him and it was like the greatest thing we ever saw. You know, seeing our son, that he was okay. And I'm telling you, we often talk about it here, but when have we saw God like that? Like everything depended on him. Everything does depend on him. He is the hinge by which everything turns on. And we've got to seek him like that. You're trying to build a family? Oh, I read in my Bible those who build a house on sand. When the storm comes, there will be a great fall of that house. But those who build their house upon a rock, when the storms come, they will stand. I'm telling you, whatever it is you're trying to do... You must go to God. You must put him first. Jesus said the greatest of all commandments is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. I'm telling you, uh, that is where we're missing the ball. We think our issue is our spouse. But I'm telling you, a lot of the marriage issues in this church and in the other uh, churches today is the fact that there are spouses who aren't seeking God first, and they're looking to their spouse to fulfill something that he or she will never be able Able to stand up to that standard. But let me tell you about Jesus. He's perfection. He'll fulfill you. He'll give you peace. He'll love you unconditionally. I'm telling you, you got to go to him. And I'm telling you, this is where we miss it. We think we can add Jesus into other parts of our lives. No, Jesus has to become our life. And then from that relationship, everything else will flow. Everything else will flow. And God has shown me that. I thought it, too. I remember seminary. I was looking at, you know, sometimes Facebook puts up these memories, right? And I remember I was in my first or second year of uh, seminary, and and, uh, there was a joke going around the preacher boys in the college that preachers need wives, (laughs) which is true. We just That's what we'd always say, man, I need a wife. You know, we just always, that was our focus. And um, (laughs) we thought, you know, we get a wife, man, we'll be ready to serve, we'll be, you know, you know, this, this, and that, whatever we thought. And, um, you know, then I was looking at that, some of my friends, God was gracious to me, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't let me rush, he, 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 he didn't let me get ahead of him in that area, I'm so thankful I got my wife, but I had buddies who rushed, and the first girl they started to date, they married, and I, I can tell you, and many of those marriages dissolved very quickly. More of my friends are divorced now than are married. And I think it was because like we were seeking a wife, we should have been seeking God. You seek God. I'm telling this to somebody single in here today. You seek God and you look to your right, you look to your left, and if somebody's keeping up with you, that's who you need to start talking to. And I think God will know the desires of your heart. I think he will... He'll fulfill the other needs too. But the most important thing is, is that person seeking God? Or is they, are they seeking me more than God? Then run as far as you can. And when my wife came back into my life, she was seeking God. She wanted God's will. I waited a whole year to talk to her because I was seeking God. I knew God had called me. And um, I just remember the conversation I had with one of our Sunday school uh, small group teacher, he said, hey, have you thought about talking to Erica? I said, yes, sir. (laughs) And I just spilled out all of everything, and and, uh, he said, man, you got rocks for brains. You need to go. This girl, she's on fire for God. She's doing, I mean, you need to. And I did. I listened. I got counsel. I got godly counsel. And I'm telling you this. I know this is another rabbit trail. What happened to getting godly counsel before you make decisions like who you marry. I'm, I'm saying your parents, you know, young ladies, let me say this. Your daddy, if you have a, one at home, should have a say. Is that, that may be archaic, but I'm telling you. And young men, you seeking a wife, you should, you should value your parents' input. And, um, but anyways, that's a rabbit trail because it'll save you a lot of heartache, I promise you. And so, out of our heart will flow li- rivers of living water, is what Jesus promised. This is a promise. And um, we've got to ask the Lord, if, if this does not describe our Christian walk in, in, in some instances, no one will do it perfectly. Jesus was the only one who walked perfectly, and the fullness of the Spirit dwells on him um, at all times. Uh, The oil of gladness, the Bible says in Hebrews, was was full on Jesus. He was always in perfection. We do things, we're leaky vessels, we grieve the Spirit, we fall short, we lose our cool, (laughs) so then we got to come back. We got to seek him again, right? Anybody, you know, the altar, that's not a formality in a sense, that's us saying, God. I'm broken. I, I, I failed this in this area. I need you to restore me. I need you to, to, to fill me up again. Fill me up again. I, I was on repeat as I studied for this sermon. Fill me up, God. Fill me up because I'm a leaky vessel and sometimes I, I lose my cool. Sometimes the kids uh, get on our nerves. And I'm telling you, sometimes, you know, I'm not who I should be, but I'm telling you, every time that I come back and I repent and I ask God to fill me up, oh, he meets me right there. He's gracious. And it's my desire that I don't, have to, I don't have to keep tripping at the same things, you know? And I know that's some of your desire. And the answer for that is to seek God more. To be more filled with God than with your, yourself. Like what John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. And Jesus said, he promised that we could have this fullness in our life of His Spirit. Now, John, in verse 39, he gives a commentary of what Jesus preached there at the feast. He says, but this He spoke concerning the Spirit. So Jesus, when He's talking about the rivers of living water, you remember when He talked to the woman at the well and said, you have, you'll come and drink of the water that I give you, and you'll never thirst again. It'll be a wellspring of you. It'll continue to to bring life and vitality and fulfillment. This is what Jesus was speaking about. He's prophesying of the day where the Holy Spirit would come, and he would indwell those who believe on him. He says, but concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive— for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Remember what Jesus said? Uh, we'll see later in John 14 that it is expedient for me to go away because then he will come, the Comforter, and he will ever be with you. He'll live in you and he will empower you and he will convict the world of sin and he will comfort you. And he said, greater works you will do. Not greater in, in degree, but greater in scope, uh, greater in number as far as what we would do because I want to tell each and every one of you something in here this morning. I want to encourage you. I want you to leave out of here with a skip in your step because the living God lives within you if you're saved this morning. The power of God lives within you. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. There's nothing impossible for him. But we don't don't see the fullness of that because we don't seek him like we should. And John goes on to say that the Spirit would come, and it would come after Jesus was glorified. Now, of course, he's referencing when Jesus would go to the cross and shed his blood for this world. Oh, the cross. This week I went to Calvary again in my mind. Like that song says, I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior there, On that cursed tree. And I think we we don't go to Calvary enough, folks. Because we would love him more. We would serve him with, with, with vigor. We'd have a passion for him if we went to Calvary. So he's referencing the glorification of Jesus. It didn't end at Calvary, though. Thank God. You see, he was laid in the grave. But three days later, I have good news. He rose from the grave, and he is now glorified. He sits on the throne of heaven. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and now we wait until that day, that we look forward until that reunion, until we meet him face to face. I've never beheld him yet, but I know him, and I, and I look forward to that day, and I want to encourage some of you in here today, oh, things may not be going how you planned in your life, but you still have Jesus. Oh, you may not have the health and the vitality you thought you would have have, but you still have Jesus. Oh, things may not have turned out the way that you thought they would, but you still have Jesus and he's all that you need. <laughs> all right. And this is the invitation that he gave to those people. We're going to see next week some rejected, some accepted, others Just put it off, and I want you to understand putting it off is rejecting. Because Jesus, he was so clear in who he said he was that you had to make a decision. He wasn't just a good man, he was God. And if God is saying, come to me, either you come or you don't. And Many people don't. And our heart hears that you would come. If you don't know Christ this morning, you can come to him. This invitation still rings true. He wants to save you. He wants to save you. And this morning, if you're a Christian, his promise still is true that you can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, where it's like a flow from a river, where you, you are seeing the fulfillment of all God is. I don't know about you, but I want more of him. I need more of him. And we can have it. We just got to seek him. And that's what I'm setting my life apart to do. Seek him in the early morning. Seek his face in prayer. Seek him in worship. Seek him. And I promise, and he's promised, that he will meet you. Every time the word of God is presented, preached, it calls for a decision. And today, maybe your decision is to to return to the first love, to open that door and to seek God with all your heart again. Or maybe it's for you to receive Christ for the very first time. And if that's you, we would love to walk with you through that.